Hi, this is Migration Patterns, a podcast about the places we come from, where we live, and how we got there. I'm your host, Meredith Bratland. Titi Lope Sanuga is an award-winning poet and performer based in Lagos, Nigeria. Her family moved to Edmonton when she was 14. She completed university here in Edmonton to become an engineer, but her other talents went over. She is the first poet to appear at a Nigerian presidential inauguration, performing an inaugural poem, We Are Ready, in 2015. Her poetry has been published in multiple countries. She's also participated in TEDx Talk in Edmonton in 2014. Titi Lope also plays Eki in the Nigerian hit TV show, Giddy Up, and recently wrote a one-woman play. Just a short audio note, uh, Titi's son came to the interview with her, so you'll hear some cute baby noises in the background throughout the the whole interview. So let's get into the interview. My first question to all my guests is, um, what do you think of when you think of home? Ooh, what do I think of when I think of home? Um, I think of family, I think. I think because I've had so many different homes, home for me isn't a physical structure. And so I think wherever my people are, that that feels like home. And so I think of my sisters, my parents, my husband, my son. I feel like wherever they are is always home-ish. And food. food. Oh, please elaborate. Yeah. Uh, Well... In Nigeria in particular, which is uh, where I was born and raised, um, food is a very big part of culture for us. And food is also like a central piece in a lot of family activities. And so that is a, a big indicator of home as well, like walking home to that, the smell of food. Um, there's food in every celebration. Basically, the kitchen and the meals that we share are sort of at the heart of how we express love. Um, and so food is definitely also a part of like that home feeling. Cool. Yeah. That is one of my favorite topics, yeah, food. food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you moved to Edmonton at age 14, um, what do you remember about adjusting to a new culture? Um, we moved here in September, I remember. And it wasn't, I mean, we're in October now and it's such a balmy day. So I don't remember, I, I don't think it was particularly cold, but I think because... Um, It was colder than I had ever experienced. One of my first memories is just like that very cold, dry air. Um, And I think I hadn't yet come around to understanding that I had left Nigeria like sort of for good. Mm -hmm. And so it still felt vacation-y in a way at first. It took me a while to come around it's the idea that like this was home, like this is home now, and this is where you're going to be for a very long time. Um, and the question was, what was my experience? Mm-hmm. Or what do you or adjusting to a new culture? Yeah, was that a big? Yeah, adjusting to that. Okay, so just so I don't forget, because my brain is a little scattered at the moment. <laughs> um, I think the adjustment was easier because I like our family's quite big. I have three older sisters and my parents, and so there were six of us um, to kind of buffer that like that feeling of being in a new place. And my sisters and I are super, super close. And and one of the things that we share is a language that isn't English. We all speak Yoruba. And so for us, that was always 
a, a, like a bond that we had and so we could have whole conversations like in public spaces and nobody would know what we were talking about. Something about that kind of glues you together in a way that feels special and feels intimate still when you're in this jarring experience of migration and being uh, in a place that's unfamiliar. People were kind and, and people were warm in that overly friendly Canadian way that we are. Um, but I do know that um, I, I definitely got an introduction to uh, race in a way that I hadn't considered before. And for the first time, I was like, I had to define myself as like, okay, I'm from Africa, I'm from Nigeria, and I am a black person. Whereas where I was, everybody was black <laughs> and everybody was Nigerian. And so I didn't have to... Those definitions didn't weren't a part of my day to day experience. Um, so suddenly I, they they were, and not necessarily in a bad way. It's just I I had to reorient myself uh, in a way that I hadn't had to consider before. And I was only thirteen years old, and so that work is is a lot of heavy lifting for a, a child, I would think. But I I remember being comfortable. I remember being happy. My family was here, and so that helped. And we were sort of all going through it together. We had like a bit of extended family in the city and so we had that and they had been here longer than we had and so they helped us transition um and so we were lucky in that way we found we settled in i think as quickly and as comfortably as is possible when you leave your whole world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and your background says that to me or shows that right that the fact um that you went to university here at the u of a yeah and took engineering I did take engineering. <laughs> uh, do you want me to talk some more about that? Sure. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. So my dad was a civil engineer as well, actually. And my earliest memories around what engineering was or looked like was um, was like observing and watching my dad do his work and thinking about, oh, that would be a cool thing to do one day. Um <laughs> Uh, and so when I, when we moved to Canada and we started to have the conversation around, okay, what are you going to do? Like, like what's your future going to look like? Engineering just like, was like at the top of my mind as like this very solid thing that you do. Anyone who comes from an immigrant family also will attest to the fact that the way that you pay back the sacrifice of having left your whole life behind is usually through education. And so you'll find a lot of Nigerian families, a lot of, um, immigrant African families or, or elsewhere, are really passionate about education and and are particular about going to university, getting a PhD, getting a master's. And for a lot of us, that's sort of like, that's the way that you say thank you. Um, so for my sisters and I, my sister is an accountant, uh, one of them's a pharmacist, another one works in the banking industry. And so we all felt the need to like do these careers that felt very solid and very like something that our parents could tell their friends when they phone them all the way in Nigeria and say, oh, my daughter's an engineer, you know, like it just sounds nice. Um, and also because I was I was good at the sciences and good at math and it just, it seemed like something uh, really interesting and exciting at the time and a way to walk in my dad's footsteps. And so, um, yeah, so I chose engineering and studied at the U of A and went through the co-op program. So I was working and going to school at the same time. Um, and in the process, I, I, I met... Lots of people who weren't in my faculty, actually. I spent a lot of time in this in the student u- union building hanging out with non-engineers, which is great because I find um, the program is really challenging. So it's it's very seductive to just be in your engineering world and not meet anybody. And I'm really glad that I um, got involved in, in the arts for the first time at the U of A. And so I was uh, in, there was a, an African Students Association that I was a part of. So we did a lot of dancing and step and 
at the time I was dating an athlete and so I spent a lot of time you know with athletes as well and and um so engineering is sort of the backdrop of my experience here but the friendships that I made and and all the all the fun things that I did were also a part of that and so did you start writing poetry while you were in university I had started writing poetry before university um and I think I've just always sort of written. I remember I always tell the story about how my mom used to travel a lot when we were younger and she would leave me with a notebook and tell me to write down like all the things that my sisters did to torment me while she was away. I was, I was the last one, so I, I got tormented quite a bit. Um, and I feel like I remember that as my first foray into like storytelling and sometimes embellishment and that sort of thing. Um, so I've been writing for as long as I remember. Uh, but I think the first time I thought poetry was something I was good at was in grade 10. I had a grade 10 English teacher who asked, we had a, like an assignment that we had to do and we had to write these poems. And I wrote a poem and she made such a big deal out of it that I, suddenly I, I thought, I must like, I must be good at this. Like, this must be really good. I'd never thought of, about that before. And so she made me like read it out in front of the class. And it was like laminated and framed for like Black Ooh. History Month. It was this big thing. Uh, that poem now when I read it back, is just like, oh my gosh. But I think maybe for a grade 10 student, it was like, okay, this is pretty major. This is pretty heavy. Um, and so I knew that it was a th- like, I liked the feeling of how I made other people feel by that work. And so I continued to do it. Um, but I didn't consider it as like a career choice. Um, I always remember I used to come into the university bookstore and just like look at books and like just peruse <laughs> as you do. And I remember pulling a book uh, off the shelves by Intosaki Shange, and it's called For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough. Um, and it's like a play. Uh, that was later developed into a movie called For Colored Girls, and it's about um, these women who are represented by these different colors. So there's uh, the lady in red, there's the lady in blue, there's the lady in, you know, yellow, and each of them has a different story um, uh, about their life experiences. And so this little book is just like a series of monologues of these women's lives, and it's poetry, but it's monologue style. And it was the first time that I saw something that made me feel like I have never considered suicide. I don't have these particular experiences that I'm reading about, but I connected to them in such a way that made me realize that language and art is so powerful. And for the first time, I think, ever, I thought to myself, I want to do this. Like, I, this like this thing that I'm experiencing in this book is something I want to give to somebody else, that some other girl will pick up a book of mine, like, in some place that I never imagined and connect so deeply with it that she would want to also tell her stories. And so um, U of A... Uh, is where my art sense also started to develop at, alongside trying to get an engineering education. Yeah. Since you were wor- you were working as a, a professional engineer for a time and had started doing writer in residencies, correct? At the same time. Uh, yes. So I was working, <laughs> and I would like sneak out to go teach workshops and ask for time off to go to residencies and go to festivals and become just a complete nuisance because every weekend, like from Friday, I'd be like, I have this thing in Ottawa. I have this thing in Toronto. Oh, I'm going to South Africa for three months. Can I have a leave of absence? And I was lucky. I worked for a really great company here in Edmonton um, that allowed me so much freedom. I don't know why. I still don't know why. Uh, I've kept in in great contact with, with my boss and my coworkers. And so they knew that I had this passion, but they also 
loved having me work there. And so they were willing to bend over and give me so much room um, to explore my art at the time. And I think that was really instrumental in helping me continue to, to grow because I had that freedom. And what kind of gave you the the final push for the leap? Um, so I took the first leave of absence in 2011 and moved to Cape Town, South Africa to go do a residency there, uh, an all-women residency where I developed like a one-woman uh, play. And it was the first time I had lived as an artist sort of full-time and was living in community with other artists who were also doing it full-time. And I got a taste for it. And that's taste kind of like was like a loss of innocence for me because when I came back to my job I knew that I couldn't unknow what I knew (laughs) which was that it was possible that it was hard but it was possible and there were people in the world who were doing it and and so my sort of melancholy grew and this feeling that I was wasting time started to expand in my mind yes I was enjoying my job but I wasn't passionate about it in the way that I felt like I should have and I wasn't jumping out of bed every day with glee and I wanted to feel that way I know a lot of people will tell you we just go to work like that's just what you do Um, but I feel like we have such limited time on earth and I wanted to spend that time being joyful about waking up every day and so I decided to do an experiment in which I would start with six months and um, but I knew I couldn't ask for a six month leave of absence after, like I said, being such a nuisance. So I had to actually quit. But I quit with the invitation to come back at any point that I wanted to, which was really, really kind of them. Um, so I left my job and said, OK, six months time, if you're broke and stupid and lost, <laughs> just come back and say you made a mistake. <laughs> they will take you back. Uh, and then six months grew and grew and grew. And I just sort of never looked back. And that was now, how many years ago? I left my job in 2013, so wow. that was five years ago, in May of 2013. Wow. Yeah. Crazy to think about. Yeah. Sometimes when I talk about it, I still say, oh, it was like, a, I want to say, oh, it was a couple of years ago, and then I realize, no, <laughs> it's been five years. You've been doing this for five years, yeah. yeah well, and you have quite a body of work. I was I was reading through the stuff that you have available on your website, Um and so I, I sort of I wanted to ask you about how you would describe your poetry. Ooh, um, that's a hard question. <laughs> I think it, it's probably easier for me to describe what drives my intention behind my work um, because I feel like I write about so many different things. I think in my practice, I am obsessed with the idea of creating work that reminds people that they are not alone and and so I try and 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 that they are loved and that love is important and so I try to bring that into the room when I'm trying to create something and so whether I'm talking about women and their experiences or I'm talking about um, Nigeria and the missing Chibok girls or whatever it is, I I try to center that on the idea of love and on the idea of like oneness. This I I'm try I try to find threads in it that somebody who doesn't hasn't lived that experience can still connect to. Which also brings me back to this this book that I found on the bookshelf. And so I think that was the first seed around deciding that my work was going to be um, the language was going to be accessible that it was going to be clean and easy to jump into 
and it was going to give people several access points along the way, people who didn't come from my background, people who didn't look like me or live like me. Um, so I guess in describing my work, I would say um, that it is work that is deeply concerned with articulating the human experience in a way that makes people feel like one. Mm, beautiful. I also noticed a lot of feminine energy and about feminine power and um, openness was really clear to me and healing and truth absolutely yes you say you you know it better than like you say it better than me no i feel like i just like ramble on and on but yes and again that depends on like what season i'm in in my life and i think the last few years have been like coming into my womanhood becoming a mother uh, becoming a wife and so that I've been preoccupied with those ideas and in observing like the women and the mothers around me and trying to like articulate those experiences is important to me so yeah 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 I thought your poems about the missing Chibok girls were like you said they were accessible as I had not experienced that or been in that political environment and they were very moving to me yeah so yeah, it just you're right there. You're like it feels very present. Thank you. Yeah. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Nigeria is very very present in your poetry and your work and so I wanted to ask how you how have you experienced being a poet in Nigeria compared to Canada? Ooh. Hmm. <laughs> um I feel like I I um, live in two poetic worlds. So there's the very traditional literary community that exists on the page and sometimes on the stage. And then there's a spoken word slam community, which is where I got my start and which is a community that I always pay respects to because performance is such a big part of what I do. I love the idea that poetry can exist on the stage and also on the page. I feel like it's important to be able to read or perform your work in a way that matters to people. I don't know that I believe in that old school way of like, oh, we just write for the page and we just like wear berets and smoke cigars. <laughs> and like people don't really need to understand what we're talking about. Like I just don't think that's fair. So in Canada, I started off sort of entering into the poetic world, entering into the poetic world through the traditional routes. So I encountered um, poets who were like traditionally, I guess, page poets and spoken word wasn't really a big thing in the city at the time. But I had friends in other parts of Canada who were doing slams and I was like, where do I, how do I jump in? But we didn't have a slam team in Edmonton. And so I went to compete in Calgary uh, and made their national team and then competed on the national stage as part of Team Calgary. When we came back, I I, I was going to Calgary every weekend to rehearse with my team, which is crazy. Um, So then I said, okay, what do I need to do to start a slam in Edmonton? And so that's what's initiated Rouge Lounge and and the Breath and Poetry Collective, which I later uh, founded. Um, And so I guess my experience of being a poet in Canada felt very much like I was trying to build a bridge (laughs) between uh, these new young voices, my voice, and what was existing already and trying to find ways in which we could 
bridge those gaps so that I could exist in a way that felt authentic. Because I, I didn't like going to uh, events at libraries and cafes and people saying, oh, you memorized your words. Oh, that's so cool. But saying that in a way that didn't feel like a compliment. Uh, and so it was important for me to bring other young poets into those spaces and to flood those spaces with those poets so that the people would realize that I wasn't a token and that this was also poetry that was va- valuable. Um, in Nigeria... Spoken word and oral storytelling is such a huge part of who we are naturally that it I was I didn't feel like what I was doing was so odd <laughs> or like radical. yeah like so radical right because there were lots of poets generations of poets who had been doing this work before me mm-hmm. and so I entered into that space with that kind of assuredness knowing that I wasn't doing anything Um, that felt tokenized or uh, odd. However, what we had of structures and competitions and things here in Canada, we didn't have in Lagos. And so I found myself in another kind of pioneering space where I was trying to create platforms uh, and trying to, again, bridge a gap and and, um, create structures for poets who were already doing work there. So, so, so there are two different worlds, but they they were similar for me in a way because I, in each space, I felt like, in order to do what I wanted to do, I had to create, uh, I had to create that platform, um, and because I I was had done that in Canada, it was easier for me to go to Nigeria and say, okay, I want to do a poetry show, um, with live music and, uh, like birds floating from the ceiling and like lighting and this big production and I'm just going to make that happen because the structures don't exist here no one's done it yet that I can speak to about it but like it feels urgent to me to do it so that somebody else can be like okay I'm going to take that and then I want to do like something even bigger and so I guess I'm excited about uh, being in both spaces all the time because I'm always having to rethink redo um, and not get too comfortable with what's already existing um as far as my work goes in those two places, if I'm talking about Nigeria in Nigeria, it, the work takes on a different kind of meaning <laughs> than if I'm talking about Nigeria in Canada. Um, and both of those spaces and both of those experiences are extremely valid. Uh, but something about doing some of the poems I had written here about Nigeria in Nigeria and having people validate those those stories with hmms and ahs and yeah, and because it was real and lived for them uh, was like kind of euphoric in a way mm-hmm. um and yeah so I, I guess I feel like a different I feel like myself but like there's a different part of me that comes out where wherever I am when I'm in the in Nigeria with people who I'm talking about in that work that's a different feeling when I'm somewhere else and I'm talking about that work and giving other people a, a, a window into that that also feels validating and, and good um so as a poet I guess I, I'm me wherever I am, um, and I just try to find the light, I guess, in whatever space that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched the videos that you have uh, online, I guess. They're fantastic. So uh, just to like describe the room for the listener, um, you arranged to, for your performances to be in these big open spaces that were, it looked like very minimalistic. And then you you were on a stool and had your performance, and then there was a string orchestra yeah. that accompanied when you were reciting. 
and then a big crowd of people with the the ums and the ahs. And I like how the camera would span to the audience, and then you'd see someone raise a hand and point. Yeah, they were so cool. Thank you. And you were one of the first to do that in Lagos. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like I say, the city is full of performers and storytellers, so I hate to say I was the first to do that. But as far as poetry goes... Um, I would say that it, it, that was the first production of its kind. Um, and I did, it's a series I do called Open, which is actually is happening in Edmonton uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and so I did it in three venues across the city of Lagos, across the city, and so uh, really tried to span a full range of venues. And so a lo- the venue that you saw in that video, <laughs> there's a baby in the room. <laughs> The venue that you saw in that um, video was actually like an abandoned building when we got there. So it was a building that's an office building that somebody had bought and he hadn't been able to find rentals, uh, somebody to come rent the space or buy the space. And I knew him personally and I said to him, I have this show I want to do. Let me use your building. (laughs) He was like, ah, there's no power in there. Ah, we need to paint the walls. Ah, there's all these things. But I I was crazy enough to think, okay, let's make it happen. So I had to rent a generator to power the building. We had to paint the walls (laughs) that morning, install a toilet, uh, decorate. In the videos, there's these flowers that are hanging behind me. My husband and I strung each of those flowers by hand the night before the show. And so these are the sort of like crazy sort of experiences that I find myself jumping into, but also loving because it's like when it's done and I look at those videos, I know the story behind it. And it makes me feel really powerful that I was able to pull that off. Um, And then of course, like putting the work in that space um, and having people connect to it in that way is always really, really rewarding. Um, But yeah, I think a long time ago I realized like, yeah, I wanted to do poetry, just the mic and me. But I also find that for people who love poetry, they're going to listen to you wherever you are. But uh, in Nigeria, for example, where poetry as entertainment and performance was a thing that people were sort of just coming around to in a way, I felt the need to create an experience out of it and to uh, drag, (laughs) to carry along people who just wanted to laugh and smile. Um... And so sometimes that involves music, sometimes that involves just the experience and the way that the room feels. And so I love jumping into those things and for people to come after the show and say, oh, you know, I didn't really like poetry. Like I thought poetry was boring, but I really enjoy the show. That to me always feels like a nice pat on the back. Yeah, it's like the ultimate, isn't it? Uh, Just as a reminder for everyone, I'm chatting with Titi Lope and uh, she is a poet and an actress and a playwright uh, and we're talking about her work right now. So um, you're a leading actress on the TV show Giddy Up. And I watched some on YouTube. No. I did, uh, leading up to the interview. And I think it's really fun and it's dramatic and it has good cinematography. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so how would you describe the show? Um, Giddy Up is a story about four friends <laughs> in the city of Lagos who are trying to... Uh, make it really there each of them has a dream but the tagline of the show is each every dream has a price tag um and that's because for each of them to get to this dream that they have they have to sacrifice or give up something or do something that they wouldn't have thought they would do which actually kind of represents how lagos is it's such a busy city it's such a competitive city that everybody 
seems to be sort of like scurrying in the direction of a dream that they have. Um, and there are consequences for decisions that you make along the way. And so my character on the show, her name is Eki, and she's an artist like me. Uh, she's a photographer, and she has these big international dreams. Um, she's kind of like the grounding force in her group of friends who always get in all kinds of trouble. Her major issue on the show is, like, love. Love and heartbreak. <laughs> and this guy that she's in love with, and she kind of loses focus on her art because she's just preoccupied with that. Um, I wasn't supposed to be on that show, to be honest with you. I'm not an actor actress <laughs> it wasn't something I had considered even though I was performing I never considered myself uh, somebody that could act but <laughs> to continue so uh, I was in a season where I had just left my job in Edmonton I had gone back to Nigeria to kind of explore the art scene there on this six-month experiment of like can you be an artist and not starve to death <laughs> and in that process I was performing at, a sh at, at an event and the writer and director of the show, who's a brilliant uh, young Nigerian filmmaker. And, and if, you, if you go through uh, some YouTube videos and, and, and even on Netflix, you'll find Nigerians are, are um, a lot of young Nigerian voices are, are coming to the fore uh, and doing really great things with film. And she's one of those people. And so she saw me at, at performing poetry at a show and said, oh, would, have you considered acting? You kind of remind me of a character that I wrote. Would you consider it? And I thought, okay, I'll go for an audition. I was in my, like, say yes to the universe mm -hmm. place. And I thought, I'll just go. I'll audition. They'll probably laugh at me. And then I can just call my friends at home in Canada and tell them this stupid thing that I did, right? So I go, and it's like the script. Because I'd been memorizing poetry for so many years, I ate the scripts. Like, I was just like, okay, if there's nothing else I can do today, I will know the words. <laughs> and so I just focused on knowing the lines and... And then just acted like myself, which I think was good enough, because the character also feels very close to home. And so I got the part, and next thing I knew, I was on this this huge TV show, which which was super helpful for me because people who didn't know my poetry suddenly were introduced to me on the show, and that is actually how I was able to grow my audience for for the poetry, which is what I was there for. So one hand kind of washed the other in a way, yeah. Wow, cool. So, um, this is kind of out there, but um, how does the show reflect Nigerian culture? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is the city of Lagos, which in no way represents Nigeria as a whole. And so people are always quick to remind us that Lagos is not Nigeria because the Lagos experience is very different from the experience in northern Nigeria or anywhere else for that matter. Um, but I think what the filmmakers have tried to do is incorporate little elements of of our culture on the show so whether it's from what we're wearing to what we're to what we're eating uh to the way that we speak and so slang and and the dialect and and uh the rhythm of how we speak is very very apparent on the show and so even for me i had to remember this is not a canadian show like <laughs> you're a nigerian girl in nigeria even though it's hard uh to 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 reverse that when you're accustomed to a certain way of speaking. But uh, it was important for it to be authentic, to feel like to feel like us. Um, and so, yeah, the show represents that, that um, go-getter spirit and the idea of dreaming, which is a big thing for young Nigerians, and just lots of entrepreneurs, lots of artists, lots of people who are doing it for themselves in a system that doesn't have a lot of structures. Um, 
and you'll see things about like parents and their children and how culture and tradition kind of push up against what their kids want to do and um, so you'll see in the relationship between uh, one, some of the characters and their parents on the show so I think they tried to like kind of sprinkle in these little things that that's puts the show in the context of where we are and that's what made it really exciting to work on. Does your creative process change at all from poetry to acting to even your play? We haven't touched on that very much. Yeah, so that's, um, so yes and no. It does in the sense that after I did Giddy Up and I realized I was able to grow my, I, I, and just to give you numeric, a numeric example, when I joined the show, I probably had 500 people on my Instagram. Uh, and now there are 30,000 people in my Instagram just because of Giddy Up and the, the conduit that created for people who were interested in me on the screen mm-hmm. and who were then like, oh, I'll stick around because I kind of like this poetry thing. <laughs> um, I realized by that experience that it wasn't going to be enough for me to be a, just a poet who just stood at a microphone and said poems. What I wanted was the, f- the wealth of what that experience looked like to create work from that same poetic place but to create it in many different arenas. So on the next season of the show, which hasn't come out yet because of reasons that I can't disclose, um, (laughs) on the next season of the show, I actually wrote on that season because I wanted to be involved because I realized that, hey, like I can be a poet who writes for television. I can be a poet who writes one-woman plays, even if I'm not in them. Um, The process is similar in that um, I'm, again, still thinking about what I said before. My intentions are the same in that I want to lead from a place of love and lead from a place of creating bridges uh, for people. Um, But I needed to acquire new skills. And so I needed to learn how to write for the camera. (laughs) And I needed to learn all those things. And I had to give myself like a self-education. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. That was a perfect answer. (laughs) So I'm kind of wrapping things up um, with that. So, uh, Gigi, you recently came back from to Canada to give birth to your son, who's in this room, <laughs> Jenny. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so since you've been living globally for the past few years, how do you picture going forward as a family? Um, so I've been kind of quietly back in the city. Um, I took my time with um, jumping back into the art space in the way that I had, because for a long time I've, I've been traveling back and forth between here and wherever I was. Edmonton is always home because Edmonton is home. And so I would spend six months in Edmonton and I would travel for a month and then I would go for two months and I'd come back. And So I've been doing that for such a long time that this is the first time in a very long time that I am really, really digging in roots and trying to settle and having a child does that. Um, uh, So I think I will always be traveling and moving across the globe because it is my intention to be a traveling artist yeah so having a child sort of puts into sharp focus that i need to plant my roots really deeply somewhere so that this child can have some structure Um, but also i'm excited about letting him see the world with me and through me and going on tour in a few weeks and he's coming along no like do or die no matter what and this is part of what my parents dreamt about when they immigrated was this idea that we would have options and a choice and that's what it really is about that now I can I can travel the world with my son and he can sit and watch me uh, be an artist and do my work is really cool but also still have this place as as home where family is Um, so going forward I'm going to be 
doing what I normally do, but with like a new flavor, like coming to record a podcast. This is just what life looks like now. And for me, it's about like improvising and being creative about ways in which I still get to feed my soul and do my work, but uh, accommodate my baby and also introduce him to things that I wish I had seen as a child. And he's going to meet a lot of poets and a lot of artists and read a lot of books. And that is exciting to me, um, more than it is challenging. Nice. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Oh, that's, Th- that's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can find out more about Titi Lope and her publications and her shows on her website, titilope.ca. Thanks for coming in. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. hey it's meredith again this is just a quick little note to thank everyone who has listened to the podcast and guests who have shared their stories i learned so much with this project and uh, just to let you know i'm going to take a break over the next year i have a few other projects that are pulling at my attention Much love to you all and speak soon.